Um, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Luke chapter 22, um, and we'll uh, we'll spend some time together uh, in the in the Word tonight. Um, we've been reading uh, with our Bible reading plan. We've been reading through the Gospel of Luke. As a matter of fact, today was uh, for me chapter 23. Tomorrow is chapter 24, and then we start reading in. I think it's Acts um, after that, and then other things in the New Testament as well. So we're getting kind of close um, to finishing out our time. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, and so uh, that's what we've been reading through. If you're new on Wednesday nights, or it's your first time in a long time, uh, what we do is we just spend a few minutes together on Wednesday nights talking through something from the Bible reading uh, plan that we kind of do together as a church. Um, if you don't have that or aren't sure what that is, there's some copies of the Bible reading plan on the table as you leave tonight. Uh, you can certainly grab one of those and kind of jump in uh, this week or next week with us and uh, and just just fall right in with reading through Scripture together with us as a church. And so that's why uh, Luke chapter 22 is the topic of discussion tonight. How many of you have ever gotten second place at something? Anybody in here uh, gotten second place at some type of event or activity or whatever the case may be? Or you might say you got really close to winning something, right? You didn't win, but you got close. Uh, how many people typically brag about second place, right? Like not a whole lot of banners out there for second place. Um, not a whole lot of uh, uh, ring ceremonies when you almost uh, won something, right? That's what we kind of think about with second place. It's almost first place, but it's not quite first place. Some of you might know it better by uh, a, a statement made by an actor where he said, if you're not first, you're last, right? Like that's kind of the, uh, the comment that's out there. I was thinking about that phrase and I was thinking about the context of what we're going to read tonight. Pretty famous passage of scripture. This is when Peter uh, denies that he knows Jesus. And so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the context of you know, if you're not first, you're last, or almost uh, being in first place. And uh, I thought in, in a lot of things in our lives, almost winning is still pretty good, right? You may have family or friends that like uh, pat you on the back and they're excited that you almost got close to winning. Uh, there's that old saying that uh, close only matters with horseshoes and hand grenades, right? Now, I was thinking about that because I, I think sometimes that's what happens when it comes to sharing Jesus, at least for me. There are a lot of times where I can tell you I almost did. I almost told somebody about Jesus. I almost uh, shared my faith. I was really, I was right there. Give me a few more seconds, a few more minutes, and I think I would have did it, um, but, but I didn't. I kind of I got close, but I didn't uh, get there uh, enough. And I was, I was thinking about that. And I was thinking how we should never be satisfied with almost sharing Jesus. I was thinking how close to telling others about Christ isn't quite good enough. And I wrote down this statement. Almost sharing your faith is not the same as actually sharing your faith, right? I mean, we could talk about all the times where we almost did. Uh, we could brag about those encounters where it almost happened, right? Or we could talk about that almost moment when we were really close to telling somebody about Jesus. But that's not typically the types of stories that we share, right? Because almost sharing is not the same as actually sharing. 
Now, other things in life, you may get some pats on the back for almost doing something good. But God isn't thinking. He's not sitting up there going, uh, patting, patting Danny on the back saying, it's okay, Danny. I, I know you almost shared your faith with that person. And though they'll be separated from me for all of eternity, you really got close. So like at least, you know, there was an almost kind of moment when it came to you stepping out and sharing your faith. Now, I know what you're thinking. I'm really not not trying to be hard on you or even hard on myself. Um, I'm not trying to, to, to beat you up or make you look down for your lack of sharing your faith. All of us would admit, if we were honest in this room, that it's difficult to tell people about Jesus, that sometimes there's great difficulty with sharing our faith. Matter of fact, there's an old survey that was done. It's been several years ago now. It was done by Billy Graham and, and, and some of his greater crusades and the question was asked in the survey, what keeps you from sharing your faith? Of course, there were all kinds of percentages of what people said that kind of kept them from telling people about Jesus. There were people who said that they were too busy, and that was kind of their excuse for not sharing about Jesus. Um, there were others that said they weren't good enough. Like, I don't, I'm not a good enough example, so I'm not going to tell somebody else what to do because I'm not doing it. And so I just don't want to tell them if I'm not really living up to the standard that I could. A large percentage said they didn't know how. Like, that was a, a, a large percentage of people who were surveyed. But by far, over 50% of the people who were surveyed claimed that they were afraid of what other people would think or what other people would say. Like, by and large, that was the greatest percentage from the survey of why don't you tell people about Jesus? People said, well, to be honest, I am a little afraid. Now, I only, only bring these statistics up because I, I would say in this room, I, I can't vouch necessarily for every single person. I don't know that we're quite that close, but I know most of you. And I would say that, honestly, you're, you're not too busy. So I don't think that would be your number one excuse. I don't think that you aren't good enough, although none of us are, so we would agree with that probably on the front end, but that's probably not the reason. I know that most of you know how to tell somebody else about Jesus. You may not have the perfect plan written out on a, you know, memorized from your, you know, track or whatever, but if you really got down to it with a close friend or family member, you know exactly what to tell them with what they need to do in order to meet Jesus. I would say probably for the majority of us in this room, it is a fear of what people are going to think, what people are going to say, how they're going to respond, if I'm going to get in trouble, if this violates some code. Like, I'm, I'm with you on that. Most of us have a fear of sharing our faith. Now, I don't want you to feel like you're a spiritual sissy, because that's not necessarily the case either, because most of us are here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to know that most of us are in this same boat. People have been afraid of sharing their faith in Jesus, by the way, since the very beginning. This is not a new problem that we're having all of a sudden in our world. Well, Danny, you don't understand. Things have just changed so much. Well, Danny, you don't understand. Human resources, they're going to come after me if I do that. Or Danny, you don't understand. I just, I'm with a group of people. They don't want to hear anything about that. Like, I just can't do it. Listen, this is not the beginning of fear for sharing our faith. This has been happening since the very first century. As a matter of fact, this happened when Jesus was here. Listen to these verses from John chapter 7, verses 10 through 13. Listen to this. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, talking about Jesus. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. 
While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. But listen to this phrase. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about Jesus. You say, Danny, when did that happen? When Jesus was walking on the face of the planet. So you say, Danny, how far back does it go that people were afraid to talk about Jesus? Ever since he was here, people have been afraid and have wrestled with fear when it comes to telling others about Christ. But I've heard this phrase so many times, and I really do, I think for my own personal uh, um, you know, stories or my own personal encounters, I find this phrase to be true. I've heard people say that a witness is, is no braver than anyone else. Someone who has shared their faith with somebody is no braver than anyone else. They're just braver for about 10 seconds longer. Like that's typically the description. Do you know more? Do you, do you feel better? Are you in a better place than I am? Are you, no, typically here's what it is. For that just small amount of time, you were a little bit braver than maybe I was when it came to sharing our faith. And you say, Danny, is that true? Well, one of the greatest examples of the 10 seconds a little bit braver or less braver comes to me from the story of Peter that we read in Luke chapter 22 this week. I want to read it, and then I want us to look at a couple things that I think in particular are significant that help us when it comes to sharing our faith today. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start reading in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse number 54. Now, hopefully this is a little familiar because you read it yesterday, maybe. All right, here's what happens. Then they seized him. Who's him? Jesus, right? And they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it saying, woman, I do not know him. I always find it funny when the phrase is woman. You know, like that must be serious in that moment. Verse 58. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Now, what is one of them? What are they talking about? Follow Jesus, right? You're one of those guys who was going after the way. What do you mean the way? You were walking after this rabbi, this teacher by the name of Jesus. You were one of them. I, I know it. I can tell. I've seen you. But Peter said, man, so maybe this is a guy at this point. I don't know. Man, I am not. So if you're going to say woman, I guess the next, you got to say man, right? Verse 59. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted saying, certainly this man also was with him for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now we know there's a little bit more to this story, a little bit more context in the beginning, a little bit more context at the end, which of course we will certainly get to see for a little bit uh, tonight. But as I read this particular encounter of Peter and his denial, 
and Jesus and this moment of seeing one another, I thought to myself, what do we learn about sharing our faith from these moments? And so as I was processing through it, I came across some ways that we can know if we're almost or actually sharing our faith. You said, Danny, I'm not really sure where I fall here. Well, probably you do. But from Peter's account, I think we find some particular things that help us, and I want to show you the difference between almost and actually when it comes to sharing our faith. Here's number one. Think about your closeness. Think about your closeness. You say, Danny, what are you talking about? Look back at verse 54. It says, then they seized him and led him away. This is Jesus, of course. Bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. Now, here's what we know is taking place at this point in Scripture. Jesus has been arrested. He's been taken to the, the, to the house of the high priest. He will be put on trial. He will eventually be crucified for what he has done. He is about to experience this sentence and die on the cross, which I think we read about we read about today or maybe tomorrow, depending where you are. Now, we don't know where all the disciples are at this moment. We're not keyed in to everything that's happening once Jesus has been arrested. But what we do know is we do know what Peter's doing. You know what Peter's doing? Here's what Luke says. Peter is following at a distance. Now, this phrase to me, every time I read it in Scripture, is very interesting to me. You say, Danny, why? We know Peter, right? We know what we think about when we think about Peter. He was the first to speak up. He was the first to stand up. Though we find him saying the wrong thing most of the time, he's typically at least always the one standing up for Jesus the most. Matter of fact, right before this moment, if you remember, Jesus is arrested in the garden. And while the soldiers are about to take him, one of the disciples takes out a sword and cuts off the ear of one of the guys trying to arrest Jesus. We know who took out the sword and cut off the guy's ear. His name was Peter, right? Of course, Jesus heals the guy's ear and tells him not to do that, which is just an interesting... I would like to see how that... That would be an interesting interaction, right? And so typically with Peter, this phrase, following at a distance, by the way, is not typically what we think about when we think about Peter. And as I was processing this, here's what came to my mind. As you think about your own relationship with Jesus, would you describe it as close? Or would you describe it as distant? You see, though Peter is unwilling to walk away from Jesus, here's what we discover, and it leads into what's going to happen next. He doesn't walk away, but he's not exactly standing up for him in this moment. He is described by a way in which I never want to be described. He's described as following at a distance. And this is not typically how a believer is described. You're either following Jesus or you're not. There's really no following at a distance. The quickest way to almost share Jesus rather than actually share Jesus is to become distant in your relationship with Him. So let me ask you a question. Think about your closeness. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? 
There's a lot of things we can do together. There's a lot of ways we can help one another. There's a lot of ways that we need each other. We are not made to do this life alone. But there's nobody in this room that can account for your closeness with Jesus except for you. So think about that for a moment. Where am I with Jesus? Where's my relationship with Him? Am I close? Am I distant? And let me remind you of this. If you are distant, it's not because He's far away, friends. It's because we are. Think about your closeness. Let me show you another thing. Think about your company. I like this one. This one's an interesting moment for me in the denial of Peter. Certainly our closeness to Jesus is extremely important. But I also want you to think about your company, the people that you surround your life with. Go back to verse 55. It says, And when they had kindled a fire, Peter, by the way, is following at a distance, they've kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. And guess who's there sitting down with them? Peter sat down among them. Now let this settle in for just a moment. Peter has sat down among those who are, by the way, opposed to Jesus. It was as if Peter was one of them. He was just another person in the courtyard, just another soldier or servant who was unconcerned about Jesus, just trying to stand near the fire. As a matter of fact, the Gospel of Mark and the Gospel of John give a little more imagery to the scene in the courtyard. This is from John 18, 18. Listen to these words. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold. Anybody understand cold right now? Yeah, it'd be nice to be around a charcoal fire, right? And they were standing and warming themselves. Here's what John writes. Peter also was with them standing and warming himself. We find Peter, who by the way is at a distant distance from Jesus, we find Peter warming himself by the same fires as those who opposed Jesus. Now listen, we can think about this in one of two ways. Here's the first one. Do we warm ourselves by the same fires of the world because we want the same things they do? Now let that settle in. Are we one of them? Are we cozy at the same places? Cozy around the same fires? Cozy around the same conversations? Cozy around the same standards? Cozy with the world? Or do we warm ourselves by the same fires because that's the only way we can be around people who need Jesus? Now let this sink in for a moment. I'm not saying it's wrong to be around people of the world. I'm not saying it's wrong to take up company with lost people. If you don't, how will they ever meet Jesus? They won't. You say, Danny, where do we find Jesus? With broken, lost people, right? Guess what? You know where Jesus found me? When I was broken and lost. The question is not, are you around lost people? The question is, are you warming yourself by the same fire because you agree with the same things? Or do you warm yourself by the same fire because you want to rub shoulders with people intentionally so that they can meet Jesus? Now think about this for a moment. Can you imagine the conversations happening around that fire? Jesus is there. 
Servants of the courtyard are there. Probably some religious leaders are there. Soldiers are there. They're warming themselves around the fire. Are they talking about this guy named Jesus? Are they talking about how he's been brought through the courtyard? Are they recognizing what's taking place in this moment? Apparently they are. Why do we know that? Because they recognize Peter as someone who's been with Jesus. You think they're just making that up in the back of their mind? No. They're witnessing all that's happening around them. Now imagine these conversations. Who is this guy? I can't believe they've taken him in. I remember what Jesus did. I watched him work miracles. I saw this. I seen that. I experienced this. And they're around a fire, by the way, with Peter, maybe the greatest apostle we've ever known. And as he's having these conversations, let me ask you something, friends. What better opportunity does he have to tell them about Jesus than right here in this moment? He ain't got to start the conversation. He doesn't have to lead into a guy named Jesus. They're already talking about what's right in front of their faces. He's got the perfect opportunity while he's warming himself by the same fires to tell them about Jesus. Think about your own company. Are you around people constantly warming around the same fires? Not because you're a part of the world, but because Jesus has placed you there in order to tell people who are looking for something more what that more is. Are you doing that? Are you telling them? Think about your company. Is it opportunities to tell them about Jesus? Or is it because you're no different than the people you're around? Which one is it for you? Let me show you this next thing. I think this is fascinating. Think about your chances. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, look back at verse 56, right? He's warming himself by the same fires. There he is with them, as one of them, by the way. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. Peter, by the way, maybe one of the greatest statements that could be made about him and certainly about us, he is noticed as a man who was with Jesus, right? Somebody who's walked at his side. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you know this or remember this, this is not the only time that Peter's recognized as somebody who's been with Jesus. Listen to this from Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. I don't know about you, friends, but this is one of the greatest compliments that any of us could ever get. Hey, you know something? I know something about you. You must spend time with Jesus, because I can tell. Gospel of John teaches us that there was a disciple that had gained access to the courtyard of the high priest. This is where Peter's standing when all of this is taking place. We learn this from John's account in John 18. I just want to read these words to you. It says, Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, the one who had access, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. 
the servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are one of this man's disciples, aren't you? Like that's her question to him. You see, Peter really shouldn't even been where he was. But John, who by the way is the one believed to be the disciple who brought Jesus in, who was, I mean, who brought Peter in where Jesus was, who was known to the high priest, is the one who gave Peter access to the courtyard. And while he's there, this servant girl, who, by the way, John probably knew and had a relationship with, recognizes Peter. They said, hey, why would she recognize Peter? This is not the first time they had entered into these gates next to Jesus, okay? She had seen them before. Maybe one of the many times he was teaching. Maybe one of the many arguments he got into with the religious leaders. I don't know when it was, but he had been with Jesus, Peter, and other people had seen him with Jesus, and now he's recognized as someone who's been with Jesus. And then once again, my mind goes back to Peter warming himself by the same fires as those who opposed Jesus. And he has the opportunity to rub shoulders with these people who need to hear about Christ, and they even noticed that he had been with Jesus. What better opportunity is there to share his faith. And then here's the thought that crossed my mind. Do people notice that I've been with Jesus? Do they even know that I follow him? And when people notice that I've been with Jesus, do I tell them about him? Do I? Do I do it, right? This is personal. Do you do it? When they notice, when they find out, when it's clear that you are a follower of Jesus, do you tell people about how they can follow Him too? Now, Peter's response is not the one that we're hoping for, right? It says in verse 57, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know Him. Now, I don't want us to be too hard on Peter, because in this moment, every eye in that courtyard is probably on him. Everybody has paused, right? This is that moment where everybody in the room is talking and nothing is happening, and all of a sudden somebody asks you some really deep question, and for some reason it got really quiet. I don't know if it was intentional, but it feels that way, right? You imagine the weight that Peter's feeling in this moment. He's looking at the guy who's about to be killed. His name is Jesus. If he identifies with him, will he experience the same fate, right? That's what's going through his mind. He says, no, I don't know this guy. Mark's account from Mark 14 says this, but he denied it saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway. Here's what happened. Peter goes, you, what, me? No, nah. I don't know what y'all Sneaks out, right? Finds the back door and leaves as quickly as he can. Finds a new group of people who maybe won't recognize him as a follower of Jesus. Now listen, don't get me wrong. This is definitely an intimidating setting. Jesus, of course, is suffering at this fate. Will Peter suffer the same fate? I'm not going to lie to you, friends. I'm not saying that it won't be scary to share our faith in Jesus. This is a classic example of why fear can easily fill our hearts. Because we live in a place that does not honor the same one that we honor. We are crossing through. We are pilgrims. We are passing from this land to another. We are foreigners in a world that is not ours. This is the weight that Peter is feeling. 
There will be cases where sharing Jesus may be detrimental to your rep- reputation, may be detrimental to your relationships. Does this mean you won't share Jesus? When faced with the opportunity to share Jesus, does convenience become a factor? So it keeps on going. Verse 58, a little later someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. In fact, Matthew's account says that it's another servant girl at a different part of the courtyard that Peter had moved to when he you know, squirmed his way out of the first question. She noticed he'd been one of Jesus' disciples, but according to Matthew, Peter's denial this time included an oath. He swore that he was not a follower of Jesus. Now in a court, right, if Peter was to be held accountable for this, a man taking this kind of oath would have opened himself up for condemnation if he was to be found lying. You say, Danny, why do you bring that up? Because the intensity of the denial is getting worse. He gets another chance and another chance and another chance. And each time his denial becomes greater and greater and greater, right? The first denial was one thing. Then he gets confronted again. And instead of admitting or instead of stepping up in that moment, guess what he does? He doubles down. No, I don't know him. What are you talking about? I'll swear on my mama's grave. I have never known this man, right? The Gospel of John describes Peter moving to another fire after denying Jesus around the first fire. You remember this. We talked about it. He was warming himself by the fire. Here's what John wrote, John 18. I just want you to see these pieces coming together. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. This is the next fire. And so they said to him, You also are not one of those disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. Now when Peter denied it the second time, he's still, by the way, warming himself by the same fires as those who oppose Jesus. This time it's clear. He's not standing by the fire so that he can tell anybody about Christ. He's standing around those fires as if he is one of them. He clearly does not want to be labeled as a Christ follower. He does not want to be known. John describes Peter as standing with them. Them is a representation of all those people who don't stand with Jesus. You say, Danny, why do you keep harping on this? Because we have a choice with what we do with Jesus. We can stand with Him, or we can stand with those against Him. In fact, I want to see if you can find a similar phrase in John's account of Jesus' betrayal. We read it in Luke just previously before Peter's denial, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear it from John's Gospel. I want you to see if you can find some similarities. You ready? This is the beginning of John 18. When Jesus had spoken these words, He went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, see if we can find some similarities. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place. For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. Now listen to this. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. You see some similarities here? Two different betrayal moments. Two different opportunities of denial. You want to know what's similar about them? Both of them are standing with the opposition. Every time. Every time they are opposed to Jesus. Peter standing and warming himself with them by the fire. Judas standing with them and taking Jesus before the high priest. Apparently, Peter didn't remember the old psalm that the Jews would sing from Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You say, Danny, how did he, how did he remember this later? <laughs> We're about to find out. Look at verse 59. Let's keep going, right? Think about your chances. Will you tell them you have the choice who you will side with? It says after an interval of about an hour. So apparently it worked, right? The first denial, maybe not so much. But when you swear on your mama's grave, apparently people will give you at least an hour before they will think you're lying again, all right? So if you need that at some point in time, take that for whatever it's worth. Still, though, after about an hour, Another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you're talking about. Anybody got a King James Version Bible in here? Anybody? It's a little awkward if we don't. Okay, everybody's like, I don't want to be the one. He's going to call me out because I got a King James Version Bible. No, no. Uh, Billy, because I know you won't mind. King James is great, by the way. I have no issues there. I want you to read verse 59 loudly in the King James Version. Oh, man. It's not what my King James Version Bible said. You ruined it for me, Billy. Does everybody's King James Version say that? Maybe I had like the 1611 or something. Oh, this is awkward. Y'all updated folks. It doesn't work. All right, let me tell you what mine that was given to me when I surrendered to ministry. So it's clearly the true King James Version Bible. I read verse 59 in that version, and, and here's what it said. It didn't say for you two are Galilean in the, in the copy that I have. Here's what it said. Your speech betrayeth thee. Is that in there? Do you see it? God, this is so awkward right now. <laughs> Your speech betrayeth, that's how you know it was King James, by the way. Your speech betrayeth thee. That's the comment that was made. Hey, we know you must have been with Jesus because we can even tell by how you're talking that there's something different about your life. I just thought, man, what an interesting, powerful testimony kind of moment that people, after they've just been with you for a little bit, hearing you talk, would know that you had been with Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this moment is that in John's account, the final person to question Peter was a relative of a guy named Malchus. Does anybody remember who Malchus was? In John's account, it's not some random person in the crowd. It's a relative of Malchus, who, by the way, also served the high priest. And so a relative of his who's there serving the high priest calls him out because he's seen him. He knows who he is. If you don't know who Malchus is, what's interesting about this guy is this is the guy who Peter cut off his ear. That's Malchus, all right? 
This guy's a relative of Malchus. Here's what I'm thinking. Man, my cousin Malchus, he told me you cut off his ear and then Jesus healed it, right? Now, of course, this happened pretty soon from there, so I don't know that they even had a chance to talk, I guess, necessarily. I don't Maybe Malchus is there with them at this point in time. But here's what's interesting to me, right? This guy knows Malchus. He's a relative of him. Peter just cut off the guy's ear, and then Jesus healed it. So, like, this guy's got some experience with the personality of Peter. That's what I want you to see, right? Some of us, in moments of fear, we pull out a sword and we slice off somebody's ear, all right? Some of us in moments of fear, I won't say anybody in particular in the room, we put the sword on the ground and we run the other direction, all right? There's typically two types of people in that kind of moment. I attack or I flee, right? What's that? Flee, fight or flee? There you go, right? Typically, that's how it goes. Well, this guy already knows the type of personality that Peter has. He's seen it. You say, Danny, what do you mean? He cut off his relative's ear, all right? Here's what John says about this moment, 1826. One of the servants of the high priest, this is the guy, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Now, you say, Danny, why do you bring it up? Because can you imagine this guy's surprise that Peter would deny Jesus? You say, Danny, what do you mean? He witnessed the passion and boldness of Peter in the garden that would cut off a man's ear for Jesus, okay? He just saw this passion, which, by the way, if you're defending somebody with a sword, do you think you're that precise that you cut off an ear? Here's what I think. I think Peter was trying to cut off his head. That's the kind of boldness that Peter displayed in the garden. This guy goes... I saw this. He was with them, right? This took place. I saw your boldness. I saw your passion. Now, he's looking at the same guy going, you just cut off a man's ear. Now you won't even say that you've been with him? You say, Danny, what do you mean? Even the best of us, right? Think about your chances. Even the best of us, the most bold, the most passionate, can have moments of fear, denial, and betrayal. How do I know? Peter cut off a guy's ear. Who in the room can say that? Somebody came after my Jesus. I cut their ear off. Right? That's how I stand. My ground. You know what I'm saying? To which we would say, you know, Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek, man. Like, seriously, you got to cut a guy's ear off. Peter, though, all that passion, right, denies Jesus again. This time, the intensity of his denial is even more severe. Here's how Mark describes it. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Another opportunity to share Jesus. Another chance. This time, instead of taking the chance, he invokes a curse. Peter has denied the very one who would die for him. Now think about your own chances, right? You can think about some of them. Actually, some of them might be fresh. Some of them might be more memorable. Where you had opportunities to stand, but instead you sat down, right? You had opportunities to stand, but instead you were silent. That's the difference in almost and actually. Let me show you this one. Last thing, number four, you say, Danny, how do we know the difference in almost and actually sharing our faith? Well, think about your circumstances. This is the moment where it really gets serious. I mean, he did cut off a guy's ear before that, so I guess it had gotten pretty serious before, but verse 60, look back at it. 
But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, can you imagine this moment, by the way? Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And look at this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine the weight of that? Can you imagine what that must have felt like? Listen, we do things against Jesus all the time, but we don't look at Him eye to eye, right? He's like some distant character sometimes floating in the clouds that we don't think about, and He's got plenty of other problems to worry about. He's not worried about Danny, right? Not so much in Peter's case. He's looking at Peter the moment Peter realizes, I have denied Jesus. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. While he's still denying Jesus, he's reminded of what Jesus told him before this moment. Here's what he told him. He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you knew me. Here's what Mark said in Mark 14. And Jesus said to them, he's talking about all of his disciples, you will all fall away for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, here's his response. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Now think about that. Jesus is thinking about this conversation. I'll go to the grave with you, Jesus. I'll lay down my life with you, Jesus. Everybody else might turn away, but I won't, Jesus. And then Jesus looks him in the eyes. What a moment of conviction to remember this conversation, to look around and see that no other disciples are standing with him, to look around and realize that what Jesus said was true. Peter had the opportunity to stand. He had the opportunity to share, but he found himself silently looking in the face of Jesus, knowing that he failed. Here's what crossed my mind in this moment, by the way. When does Jesus, what does Jesus see when he looks at me? Listen, Jesus is not just looking at Peter. Those are not the only eyes that he's looking at every day. What does he see when he looks at me? How often have we felt Jesus looking at us when we fail? And here's what it says about Peter in verse 62. This is it. And he went out and wept bitterly. You know what Luke's telling us? He's saying Peter ran away and cried like a baby. I read something on this this week that I thought was interesting. I won't read all of it because it's 6.52. And you're thinking, Danny, why aren't you stopping? I am. But the writer put out this idea of what it would have been like had he been Peter. And he gives this dialogue of what the devil must have been whispering in Peter's ears in this moment. Right? You can never be used again, Peter. Jesus will never consider you worthy, Peter. You just denied Him and He saw it, Peter. You're worthless. You're no good. You might as well end it all, Peter. There is no more worth to you. Can you imagine this moment? Thinking, feeling, weeping bitterly as Jesus has looked you in the eyes in the moment of your greatest failure. 
But what's interesting is that this moment was no surprise to Jesus. He knew it would happen. You say, Danny, how do we know? We just read it. Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And Jesus says these words. And when you have turned again, you know what he's saying? You're going to fail, Peter. I've seen it. You will deny me three times before the rooster crowed. He already saw it before he ever looked into Peter's eyes in that moment. Peter didn't see it yet. Now he's seeing it. But Jesus already seen it. It already happened. It's not a surprise to Jesus. Jesus wasn't surprised by Peter's failure, and he's not surprised by ours. Instead, Jesus is praying that we repent when you have turned again, turned back to Him. Paul reminds us of this truth in Romans 8.34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Can I tell you something? This seems like a sorry moment, right? Like this stinks right now in this moment for Peter. We see him running away. We see him crying. This is not exactly the happy ending that we're looking for. In fact, there may be people in this room, you feel exactly like what Peter feels like in that exact moment. You've had the perfect opportunity and the perfect situation, but you denied Jesus rather than sharing him. In other words, you almost did it, but you didn't. Can I give you some encouragement that you already know? We know this is not the end of the story for Peter, right? I mean, it's the end of it for now as we're reading in the Gospel of Luke, but this is not the end. Matter of fact, Jesus calls Peter back. He forgives him. He loves on him. He makes sure he knows there's something great in store for your life. There will be another chance. And in Acts chapter 2, we discover Peter with another opportunity to share Jesus. And this time, he does not deny him. As a matter of fact, when everybody's stirring and talking about, oh, these people are drunk, or these people are crazy, or these people are whatever, there's not another disciple among them who's standing up and telling everybody that it's actually in the name of Jesus that these people are changed, except for one. We know who it was. It was Peter. And he preached one of the greatest sermons in the history of the church. As a matter of fact, it was the birth of the church. The Holy Spirit comes down, changes things forever. We are in this room tonight because of that sermon by Peter in Acts chapter number 2. He isn't the silent one denying Jesus anymore. He's the one standing in front of the crowd and lifting up his voice to proclaim Jesus. Peter got second, third, fourth chances. Can I remind you of something, friends? So do we. Will we almost or actually share Jesus? And listen, I was, I, was, I was writing things down after reading this, and here's what I was thinking. It doesn't mean that there might not be people in this room tonight who need to weep just like Peter. Maybe the stage of repentance is where you find yourself tonight. And can I tell you something? There's never a movement of God where the altars are not wet with the tears of His saints. Maybe tonight... Some of us need to do a little bit more weeping in repentance and say, Jesus, you have found me failing way more than you have ever found me succeeding. But I am so thankful that there are second and third and fourth chances. Maybe tonight is a moment of repentance because we've been almost when he wants us to be actually. And he's given us another opportunity.
Maybe you need to take a few moments to ask Jesus to help you be bold and show you opportunities that that arise where you can share Him. Maybe you can't share what you don't have and you need Jesus. Can I tell you something? We don't do this very often, but if you need Jesus tonight, I will be right here. I will stay as long as you want to and I will take my Bible and I will show you how Jesus will change everything forever and that Peter's moment is your moment and the second and third and fourth chances may be for you tonight to give your life to Him. I'd love to see that happen. Whatever the case may be, I want to move from almost sharing Jesus to actually sharing Jesus. I don't think I'm going to get to heaven one day and God's going to say, Danny, I remember that time. Man, you almost told some folks about me and I was almost proud. I don't think that's going to happen. I know it's silly. I don't think it's going to happen. But if we actually do, who knows the impact that we'll have on this world, but greater than that, the impact that we'll have on the world to come. Listen, maybe the almost needs to be gone. Maybe the actually needs to start tonight. Peter denied, and we have two. There are second and third and fourth chances, and God's given us another one right now tonight. I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but can I tell you something? Tell somebody about Jesus.